Welcome to the weekly podcast for City Chapel at Slaughter Creek, the world's okayest church, right here in Austin. Get to know us better at citychapelchurch.com. We're so glad that you joined us today and hope you enjoy the message. We started on the five woes. I don't know if you guys remember, but um, uh, God delivers five woes to Habakkuk. And these are um, perspective uh, shifts for him. These are shifts in, 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 in Habakkuk's perspective because Habakkuk is, like many of us, focused on right here and right now. And that's why when you're focused on right here and right now, uh, you can get very discouraged, you can get very distraught, you get very anxious. And life seems very unfair because there's a lot of things that just aren't just about the situation that we find ourselves in. And Habakkuk, by the way, wasn't living in 2020. He was living many, 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 many years ago. Uh, he was, and even then, there were many things that were unjust about his existence. And God said, okay, look, part of the reason why you're so fearful, why you're so anxious, is because you're only focused on the here and now. And so God is giving him a, a fast-forward view, if you will, of, of, of the end. And this is applicable to the end of uh, uh, his current situation, which is the rule and reign of Nebuchadnezzar, the end of Babylon. Um, he's very concerned about this evil country that's, 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 that's trashing every other country and taking everyone captive. He's very concerned about that, but God fast forward to the end and he starts giving him some woes about the people who seem to be succeeding right now. He says, look, it, it, God is essentially saying, look, I, I understand it looks unjust, it looks unfair, it looks bad, but you haven't seen the end. You haven't seen the whole story. You need, to, you need to see how this thing ends to really understand that it's not unjust and it's not unfair, that nobody gets away with anything, that God is just and he is sovereign and he is in control. And sometimes you can't see that where you are right now. And so that's why I believe God's calling us to have wild faith, the kind of faith that even in the midst of what seems like a contradiction, what seems like the opposite of what God is saying, to still believe Him, even in the middle of that. And so what we're doing, though, is we're reading through some passages of Scripture that are kind of negative, because God is, God is saying, woe to, woe, 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 five woes, right? He's, he's, he's explaining uh, just, just how bad off these people are. Um, really are, even though they seem to be succeeding. So let's go to verse 12. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 12. Uh, this is the third woe, and I'm going to hang out here uh, today. He says, Woe to him, and the him here could reference Nebuchadnezzar, who is, who is building his, his, his kingdom, but it's really just anyone. Now, this is true of Nebuchadnezzar. This is also true of other nations and other, other time periods. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed, and establishes a town by injustice. Now notice uh, the things that this person is building and establishing is a city and a town. The previous two woes had to do with, with the person's personal wealth and then their personal house. So God is moving the perspective, number one, from the, the heart of the individual, the personal wealth that he's gathering, and then next he goes to his personal house. Now he's going to a city and a town that this person is building. Okay? And so this is what he says. He says, Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. So it's not bad to establish a city. It's bad to establish it through injustice, though. 
And so he says, woe to him. And then this is the reason why. Verse 13, has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire, that the nations exhaust themselves for nothing? Verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So I want to talk to you today uh, from the idea of um, being exhausted for nothing. <laughs> being exhausted for nothing. Does anybody feel, feel exhausted in this season? It's interesting, before COVID-19, uh, before the pandemic, I, I would talk to people and they were so tired because they were so busy. Pastor, I'm so, so busy. I'm just so exhausted. I feel like I'm just doing too much. I'm, I'm just running around here and there. And I, I got this schedule and then I got this and I got to take the kids over to that. And then we got to run the kids over here. And then we got to, then we got to serve in the church. We got all this stuff. I'm just, I'm just too busy. That's why I'm so exhausted. <laughs> and then all of a sudden God, God helped you out. And he said, man, you're right, you're too busy. We just need to shut everything down. We just need to, no more kids' practices, no more, no more, no, no, no more South by Southwest to, to go to, no more, like, no more of these distractions and busyness. And we're, no, no, we're just going to get rid of all that. You're just going to sit home by yourselves and stare at the four walls all day. And what's interesting is like God, or the circumstance, I guess, the situations removed all of our reasons for being so busy, and yet, many of us are still just as exhausted as we were. Some of us are more exhausted than we were. Which ought to let you know that exhaustion doesn't come from doing too much. Exhaustion, burnout doesn't happen because you're doing too much. Burnout and exhaustion come from doing too much for the wrong reasons. <laughs> it's not what you're doing, it's why you're doing it. In fact, weariness sets into your life when, when, when your why is not right. When, when the why behind what you're doing has shifted to something temporal, to something earthbound. He says, woe to him who builds cities and towns through injustice. In, in other words, he's so focused on what is here and now that he's willing to let his character slide. He's willing to let his faith go in order to get the success that he wants. And that's not just true about rich people and the owner of Amazon, right? That's not, like, that's not just true. Like, that, that, that's true of many of us. We're willing to let our prayer time slide so that we can get ahead in our, in our business. We're willing to let our Bible reading slide so that we can build up something on this earth. And, 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 and he says, woe to him who does that, not, not just because, like, what he's doing is, is wrong. It's not the key. The key is that God has already set this thing up so that, so that the, people's few, the people's labor is fuel for the fire. In other words, God has already set it up that if you are working on anything that is not eternal... What you're working on will not satisfy you. God's already set it up that you were born for eternity. You were created to make a difference in the world for eternity, not just to do something that is here and now that will be burnt up. He said, look, the people's labor is fuel for the fire. So whatever you spend your life doing, if it only has ramifications for here and now, it will not satisfy you. And one of the reasons I think why we are exhausted for nothing is because we are working so hard at things that will not last. 
We're working very hard at relationships. We're working, because relationships won't last, by the way. Just so you know. Uh, relationships are not eternal. Relationships are temporary. They are, they are a picture of Christ and his bride. So even the most glorious relationship, the marriage relationship, is still supposed to draw us closer to Christ, not just to each other. So the purpose of family is to draw us closer to Christ. The purpose of marriage is to draw us closer to Christ. Uh, that's what Ephesians 5 says. It says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself for her so that he could make her holy. Well, anyway, that's what it says. I mean, that's the purpose of marriage. That your spouse, you know, not that she wouldn't be happy, but that she would be holy. Come on, somebody. Like, if mama happy, if mama's not happy, ain't nobody happy? Well, fine. God's not concerned about your happiness. God is concerned about your holiness, first and foremost. And holiness is not how long your skirt is or whether or not you have makeup on. Holiness is your relationship with Jesus. So if your marriage isn't drawing you closer to Christ, then it is a distraction. It is not what it's supposed to be. Your marriage, the most intimate relationship, is supposed to pull you closer to Christ. And that as each of you comes closer to Jesus, you actually come closer together. You're not supposed to come closer together without Jesus because it won't work because you're both humans. You're flawed. You will end up fighting with each other and, and because you're selfish. And so we have to come closer to Christ. We have to become more like Christ, even in our most intimate relationships. If whatever you try to build in this life that is not around Jesus will not last. It's all on sinking sand. It's all fuel for the fire. It's all going away. Finances are going away. Governments are going away. Uh, uh, even this church is going away. City chapel is not forever. There's no city chapel in heaven. I don't know if you <laughs> I told you that. There's no, there's no promised land in heaven. There is one body of Christ, one bride. So whatever we may do on earth for the church is good and it's wonderful, but the reasons must be. See, this, this, this is where he, God doesn't say it's bad to build cities. He says it's bad to build cities for the wrong reasons. It's not bad to build churches. It's bad to build churches for the wrong reasons. It's not bad to build business. It's bad to build business for the wrong reasons. When you build a business simply for physical reasons, then you're missing the point. Hasn't God determined that all of man's labor is just fuel for the fire? That, that the nations will exhaust themselves for nothing? That so many people are chasing after things that they think will fulfill them, they think will, 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 will empower them, but actually it leaves them exhausted and they have nothing to show for it. So, okay, well, what's, what's the solution? God says, let me tell you the solution. Verse 14, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of of the glory of the Lord. Uh, Ecclesiastes talks about this a little bit. He says, look, I've seen all things, all the things that are done under the sun, and all of them are meaningless in a chasing after the wind. That's the key. It's done under the sun. Everything that is for here and now, everything that has an expiration date, may have temporal uh, encouragement, but it is ultimately meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. So the key is that we, that we not, it's, it's not that we need more time. It's that we need our time that we have to count for something. Our time here must count for something. That's why even as we're feeding people at the pantry, they're driving through, they're getting food. We're not just wanting to feed them physically. We're wanting to feed them spiritually. So as we keep kids fed, it's good to keep kids fed, but we're not just wanting to keep kids fed physically. We're wanting to keep them fed spiritually. 
So that's why we offer prayer. That's why we offer these things. That's why we draw them. That's why we tell them that God loves them. That's why we, that's, that's why we put, slap a sticker on every bag. I don't know if you guys know this or not, but we have a, a, a City Chapel sticker on every bag that we give to these kids. And um, actually, just before the pandemic, the last Sunday of the pandemic, um, we had a visitor here in church, and I was talking to her afterward, and I said, oh, well, how did you find out about us? And she said, well, I've been looking at that sticker for the past two years, and I finally decided, you know, things are getting a little weird out there, and I think I might need to find a church. And that's like, that is why we're feeding kids, so that when people feel the pull of the Holy Spirit on their heart, they know who loves them, they know who to turn to, and they know who will share the truth with them. Because everything under the sun, it is meaningless, it is pointless, but there are things that are valuable. Those are things that are above the sun. Those are things that are in heaven. Those are things that have have an eternal value and, and consequence to them. So whatever you, so you can be a, you can be a plumber and still do your plumbing with, with an eternal perspective in mind. You can be a, you can, you can work on cars, Justin, and still work on cars with an eternal perspective in mind. So the, the goal isn't that everybody needs to quit their jobs and become preachers or become missionaries or evangelists. No, you can be an evangelist, you can be a missionary as you teach kids in a classroom or as you work on vehicles or as you build houses or as you do electricity. You can, you, 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 okay, well, how do I do that? Well, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek first to glorify Him. Let, let every compliment that people give you not, not end with you, but redirect it to the one who enabled you and empowered you and gifted you in the first place. So that things under the sun don't stay under the sun. This is wild faith because regular faith likes, yeah, okay, well, we'll believe God for those things and then, and then I'll do my Monday through Saturday work down here. And it leaves us exhausted for nothing. It leaves us exhausted for nothing. I, I've, I've, I've talked to people in our church, they're, they're too busy to join a small group because they own, they own their own business. And I've said, look, actually, that's fine. <gasps> this is a good small group launch story. No, 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 it really is because, look, why do we have small groups? We have small groups so that you can be connected into a family, right? And so, and, and, and so that's why. And for most people, it works. But for some people, they literally, like, they're, 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 they're too busy in a boardroom or they're opening up their business and closing it or they're doing different things. And they, they just don't have time. But you know what? Those same people that, 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 that are busy with their business, then they turn around, they give tithes and offerings to the church. And I've said, look, you are doing as much to support City Chapel as the person that's leading a small group. <gasps> And, 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 and because, because a lot of times people don't like to say that because money, well, money, but no, man, money buys food for people. Money pays salaries for people. Money buys cameras and enables us to stream them. And so, and so I've, I've said, look, I'll just give you a call. I'll give you a call once a month. We'll check in. I'll check in on how you're doing. Somebody else will check in with you. You can have family and community and keep doing what God's called you to do. Because if you're, if you're building finances just for yourself, then okay, then that's going to burn for fuel for the fire. But if you're building finances to give to God's mission on the earth, then you're sowing into something that is eternal. And that's a good thing. God's not against building cities. 
He's against building cities that only last down here. This is how we redeem the time for the days are evil. We buy it back. We put it to a new purpose. We put even our regular jobs into a new purpose. And this is what he says. He says, look, he says, because here's the, here's the deal. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Because that's the real question then. Is your daily work, whatever it may be, working on vehicles, uh, owning your own business, or just working at Walmart, is your daily work contributing to the filling of the earth of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord? This is the key. This is what God wants from you. He wants you to help fill the earth with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. First off, the, the earth is actually filled with the glory of the Lord. Isaiah 6 says that, right? The angels, uh, Isaiah has this vision of heaven, and here is God on his throne, and angels are flying around him. They're calling to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with the glory of the Lord. It really is. Like from the moment that you woke up, actually while you were sleeping, your unconscious self was filled with the glory of the Lord. Like, evolutionary biologists cannot answer the question, why do we sleep? Have you ever wondered that? They, they, they can't, because there's no evolutionary help to it, because if you're out in the jungles and there's like ravenous wolves around, the worst thing you want to do at night is go unconscious for eight hours. I'm fascinated by this kind of stuff. And they, like, they, they don't get it. They're like, we don't really, I mean, we understand what it does for your body. It replenishes all kinds of cells and does all sorts of good things. But why in the world, like how this would just naturally evolve doesn't make sense because this is a time of fear at nighttime. It's dark. You can't see what's going on. This is a time of danger. And yet this is the time that humans choose to shut down for like eight hours and just, just trust that somebody's going to wake them up Come on, somebody. So, I mean, I'm just saying, while you're sleeping, you are literally a representation of the glory of God. That God created the most intelligent being on the earth to shut down for eight hours and completely trust Him that He's going to wake them up in the morning. That even while they can't see anything, even while they check out, men, literally their whole, everything except the back of their brain shuts down. Like, like so many things shut down in their body, they're relying on something. That's the glory of God that glorifies God. Just even while you're sleeping, and then you wake up and things really pick up. And you see the, the sunrise, right? You see the glory. You, just driving here, you see the glory. And so many living creatures, so many things in spite of a pandemic, in spite of fear, in spite of darkness, in spite of sin. So many things continue to be beautiful and grow and populate and, and, and expand. I mean, the very fact that you can see color is a, is a compliment to the glory of the Lord. Do you know color doesn't even exist? Technically, it doesn't exist. It's just something that your eyes pick up as it reads the way that light bounces off of particular objects. You have three cones in your eyes. There's a red, a green, and a blue. And anyway, it tries to figure these things out. God created your body to literally see beauty in places where scientists don't even know if there actually is beauty. We don't know if everything's black and white or not, technically. But we, 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 we see an array of glory. And it is, it is, this, is, this is the glory of God, that he would create taste, which sometimes is not very glorious when you're young and you have to eat vegetables. But after you leave your parents' house, it's a great thing. It's a wonderful, sorry, mom and dad, it's a great thing. Like, you know, like when you're sipping on that espresso, 
Come on, somebody. That's the glory. I can sense the glory of the Lord. I mean, I just, I, I feel it. I just, it's just, it's just all up in it's in my senses. You know, because taste involves smelling and taste. Like, woo, Lord, it's it's there. It's the glory of the Lord. We're talking, we're talking dark chocolate from New Zealand. We're talking, we're talking pizza from 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 the Magnificent Mile. Mm. We're talking New Orleans. Any restaurant in New Orleans, just any restaurant that makes it in New Orleans is amazing. Uh, redfish, especially catfish, red redfish grill. Anyway, yeah, is it, is it lunchtime? It's almost lunchtime. It's getting there. And he, like, 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 like God could have just made us like animals where like you have to eat something because you have an urge to, to get fuel. But instead he creates this thing called taste where you actually enjoy the thing that you need. This is, this, is, this is the glory of, like the earth is filled with the glory of God. I did a sermon a while back where I was talking about fleas. And because um, fleas are tiny and I guess they just kind of always stuck out, stuck out to me as very odd. Like a hundred of them can fit on an adult male's thumbnail. Like that's how small fleas are. But fleas are, are incredible because they jump, like compared to their body, they jump like a hundred times their their, their body length, which for us would, for us would be like 450 feet in one jump. Like that's insane. And every time they jump, their back legs are so powerful that they, they always do a somersault. You know, I don't know if it maybe it's just me, but that, that fascinates me. I'm like every jump. Yeah. Every jump, every time, no matter how far or short, they always do this perfect somersault. It's crazy. Like, like you and I can't even see that without like a really high powered microscope. For thousands of years, God was the only one enjoying the flea circus, looking down at the, it's like, like the angels, like five million fleas just did a somersault. And like, you know, like it's crazy to me that God creates these kinds of details and beauty and excitement and fun, fun in, in a flea. It's not going to live very long, but his life is like just flip, 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 flip. Like, it's just a lot of fun, you know? Like, he just creates fun and glory and beauty in the smallest things, much less the huge things. He says, he says, look, I want my glory to cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Well, at that time, they didn't know much about the sea. And now, even today, we've only explored like 5 to 10% of the sea. Like, and, and what we've explored has just blown our mind. It's like, you could take Mount Everest, <clears throat> the tallest point, on earth and you could flip it upside down you could stick it in the ocean at the at what we currently know is the deepest point it would still be a mile from the bottom this is crazy and the kind of like there's places that sunlight can't even go there's places that it's below freezing like, it's, it's the kind of pressure down there like and, the, and there's like thousands of species that we haven't even discovered yet all somehow living in this weird area and, and, and it, it, it's the glory of God God is hidden more glory god has god has disguised more glory and that's just the stuff like we look out on the ocean we're like oh yeah that's that's kind of cool but then you look up like at night and 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 there's i i i think now they 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 guesstimate that there's a, a billion trillion stars in the sky billion trillion I, that sounds like a fake number <laughs> doesn't even sound like a real number i'm like what like a billion trillion, that's, that's, that's a one with 21 zeros after it. 
That's insane. That's, that's, I, my, my, my brain stops at about a billion. You know, I don't know what a billion trillion is. It's, what? <clears throat> and scripture says that he, he leads all the stars out every night as a shepherd leads his flock and he calls them all by name. I can't even keep up with like this many names. You know, a billion trillion. How many different ways are you going to spell Brighton? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> a billion trillion. <laughs> I've seen a few different ways, you know, but like he just leads them all out. Like this is the glory. You, you look up and you see the glory of a God. The largest star that we know of is 1,700 times the size of our sun. And our sun is huge. You can fit 1.3 million Earths inside of our sun. Yeah, your, your, my brain starts melting at some point. And the whole Earth is filled with the glory of God. And he said that he left these stars as a sign. As a sign for signs and seasons is what he said in Genesis. He said, these will be for signs and seasons. Sign of what? Sign of my glory for one thing. Sign that you are really tiny. Sign that you didn't make yourself. Sign that this thing wasn't an accident. Sign that these things all swirling in elliptical patterns and not crashing into you. This is not an accident. This is designed by somebody who's much stronger and greater and wiser and more powerful than all of you because all of time is contained in him. All of time and space are contained in him. He looks down on the face of the deep. He looks down on the circle of the earth. He, every time scripture talks about him, he's above, he's elevated, he's higher. But the earth is a reflection of his glory. So not only is the earth the glory of the Lord, but he says, I want it not just, just not, I don't want it just to be filled with glory. I want it to be filled with the knowledge of the glory. Because that's what's missing. The knowledge is missing. The glory is here. The glory is, is all around us. The glory is us. It's our own bodies preached to us. Our own children preach. The glory is when, when you look in the face of your newborn. Like the glory is us. The glory is around us. The glory is reflecting and the glory is pointing and the glory is elevating. But the knowledge of the glory is missing. That word knowledge in the Hebrew is yada, which, which means to know something, but it's, it's, it's really tricky when it was translated into the Septuagint. They weren't like, they, they, they use the word gnosko because that's the typical word for knowing, but actually yada doesn't just mean to know something in your mind. Yada is usually translated to see. So it, it means to know, but it means to know through seeing. Like I see something and so I know it's true. I didn't read it. I didn't hear about it. The preacher didn't tell me. I saw it and so I perceived it to be true. It's kind of the real translation. So God said, I want the, the earth will be filled. And this is a promise, by the way, in the second heaven and the, the new heaven and the new earth. But, but this, is, this is something that is starting right here and right now, that the whole earth would be filled with the knowledge or the seeing of the glory of the Lord. Many people see, but they don't see. Many people hear, but they don't hear. Many, many people uh, uh, read, but they don't understand. And so, and so God says, instead of just simply my glory filling the place, I want them to see my glory. I want them to see it and to know it. You were created to see glory. The reason why you're exhausted on a nine to five is because you were created to see glory. The reason why you're exhausted in, in earth relationships is because you were created to see glory. You were created to contribute to the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. That it would cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. Well, how do the waters cover the sea? Completely. 
<laughs> the water is the sea and it covers the sea. How much of the sea is made up of water? Well, all of it. <laughs> it's completely saturated. Anything that gets into it becomes saturated by it. Anything that gets into it becomes affected by it. So that anything that is within the earth ought to be saturated with the glory of the Lord. So the, but the key is knowledge. The key is yada. Many people are not saturated with the glory of the Lord because they do not recognize it. They do not see it and they don't understand it. And so God wants us to see it. For as long as man has been growing closer to God, man has been desiring to see the glory of the Lord. Moses, when he uh, got on the mountain, you know, <clears throat> the mountain <clears throat> where he <clears throat> needed some water. I don't want to share your water. <laughs> That's my wife, by the way. I just, she's, you know, she's not, she's not entirely well. She's still working on getting over mono and stuff. And she's got to, you know, she's got to be careful. <clears throat> be careful with the germs. Just, just keep your mask on. We'll be good. Um <clears throat> Yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'll, just, I'll just go for a drive. It's all good. Then Moses said in uh, was it Exodus 33, he says, show me your glory. Now he had talked to God. He had heard from God. He had seen God. But he hadn't seen God's glory. And God, what God says to him next, I think it will help us understand how to see God's glory. He said, look, I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. When God wants to reveal his glory to somebody... He says, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. We think of glory as a Hillsong con concert, and there's some glory there, sure. But it's, it, when it, it's only when it's based on the goodness of God. And so he says, I'll cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name. The Lord in your presence. And then this is what he says about himself. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion. Thanks. On whom I will have compassion. This is his glory. So Moses wants to see his glory. And God says, okay, I'll cause my goodness to pass in front of you. And then I will declare some things about myself. I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. When God decides to reveal his glory, he reveals, number one, his goodness. Number two, his mercy. And number three, his compassion. <laughs> this is the glory of God that people do not see. They don't, they don't perceive but it is available to them. It's, it's right there in front of them. His goodness, his mercy, and his compassion. I'll drink to that. So what that tells me is that, that we, can, we can explain the cosmos, we can talk about that, but people aren't going to see his glory in the cosmos. We can talk about the oceans, but people aren't going to see his glory in the oceans. We can talk about fleas if we want. That's probably not very helpful, but people aren't going to see his glory. They see his glory when they see his goodness, his mercy, and his compassion. What that means for me, what that tells me is that his greatest glory is revealed in my story. Because it is my story that reveals his goodness, his mercy, and his compassion. You don't see that in the cosmos or the size of the sun. But when you look at my story, when you hear my testimony, you're going to see his goodness, his mercy, and his compassion. 
And it's not that I deserved it. He said, I will have mercy on whomever I decide to have mercy. I will have compassion on whomever I decide to have compassion. And he has already decided to have mercy and compassion on the entire world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever might believe in him would not perish but would receive the mercy and the compassion and the goodness of Jesus. This is his glory. And this is also revealed in, 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 in history, right? So God's speaking to Habakkuk. Habakkuk is watching Babylon crush everybody else, watching them just, just move through, through the known world at that time. And the king of Babylon is a guy named Nebuchadnezzar. And the book of Daniel tells us, I think it's in chapter 4, where Nebuchadnezzar is looking over his palace, his kingdom, and he says, look at, look at what I have made for the majesty of my glory. That's what he says. And, 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 and Daniel says in, in that passage, he says that while the words were still on his lips, what words? My glory. <laughs> while my glory was still on his lips, a, a voice came from heaven and said, Nebuchadnezzar, this is what has been declared over you. In other words, while Nebuchadnezzar was busy talking about his own glory, somebody who had actually created Nebuchadnezzar <clears throat> and for, for his glory already had a declaration about him. So it's not so important what you say about yourself when you look in the mirror. What's important is what heaven has said about you. This is what holds the key to your destiny. There's a lot of self-talk going around. I, it might encourage you for a moment. But at the end of the day, if you hear the voice of heaven, this will let you know whose glory you were created for. So, so Nebuchadnezzar is, is pumping up his own glory. And God says, this is what has been declared about you. And he goes on to say, look, you're going to become like an animal. You're going to become like a wild animal. Because you have attributed all this to yourself. And that's what happens. Immediately, <clears throat> Scripture says he loses his sanity. <laughs> In other words, he starts looking as crazy as he was. <laughs> like the inside of Nebuchadnezzar starts coming up on the outside. Because that's what pride is. Pride is insanity. To look at the cosmos, to look at the oceans, to look at the fleas, to look at yourself and say, look what I have built. <laughs> you, sir, are crazy. It's crazy. The arid pride is crazy. And so God says, because pride is crazy, I'm going to let pride be on the outside and you will actually look as crazy as you actually are. And that's what happened. For seven years, Nebuchadnezzar looked <clears throat> as crazy as he was. He looked as, as, as bizarre as he was. And his nails grew out long. His, his uh, hair, it says, grew out like feathers as a bird. He ate grass. He, he physiologically changed. And he was out in the field eating grass for seven years. For seven years, his kingdom just kind of went on autopilot while the king was nuts. And God said, yeah, we'll see how good your glory is. And he's out there, and he's, and, he's, and, he's, and, he's, and he's, you know, howling at the moon, and he's eating grass, and he's, and he's catching whatever animals he can live on. I mean, he's like an animal. And then it says, after seven years, the Bible says that he lifted his eyes toward heaven. He couldn't, he couldn't say anything, but he lifted his eyes toward heaven. And when he lifted his eyes toward heaven, God returned his sanity to him. Which tells me a couple of things. Number one, God is full of goodness. God is full of mercy. And God is full of compassion. He's waiting for a crazy king 
to just look up to him. He doesn't even have to pray a prayer. He doesn't have to go down Romans Road. <laughs> Those of you that have been in the church for a while, you know what that is. It's like a particular prayer. You, you confess this, you say that, and you believe that. And blah, blah, blah. It's fine. But it's not it's like, no, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. I don't need human protocol to be observing a crazy king, to see a crazy king and to hold out mercy to him. He doesn't pray the right prayer. He doesn't have a right theology. He just looks up to, he acknowledges God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, in all of your ways. Acknowledge him. And he will direct your path. I was sharing this story during prayer a couple weeks ago. Uh, we were Wednesday night prayer, and this story just came to my mind because <clears throat> I really felt, <clears throat> man, struggling. <clears throat> I really felt like as we were praying, like there were some people that just felt unworthy, you know, and we were praying about that. They just felt unworthy to come before God. They felt unworthy to pray. They felt unworthy. Oh, this and I felt like, man, God will have mercy on whom he will have mercy. Don't discount yourself. Don't cut yourself out when he has offered it to you. And I thought of this story. I thought, man, even Nebuchadnezzar, he was as far gone as somebody could go. He was as crazy as someone could be. And he prayed as little as someone could pray. He just looked up to heaven. And God responded and gave back his right mind to him, restored his kingdom to him, blessed him. All of his counselors came back to him. I mean, it's crazy to me. Like, that's crazy mercy. That's crazy compassion. Shouldn't you have to prove yourself first? I mean, shouldn't you have to, like, you know, have, like, 90 days of, of, of not being crazy before you? Like, I mean, shouldn't we, like, shouldn't we test the waters a little bit? But, but no, like, he just looks up to him, and God says, okay, I see that look. How does God see that look? Because he's watching the crazy king, waiting for him just to acknowledge the one who is above him. Just acknowledge me. And, and so I was just, I don't know, I was praying, I was thinking about that, and so I was sharing that. And as I was sharing that, I realized that it was kind of somewhat similar to another story of somebody in our church. And then, but I wasn't going to say anything, so I'm like, well, this is a little too personal. So, uh, but then she shared uh, on Wednesday night prayer, she shared her story. That her story was kind of similar in that she was diagnosed crazy in that she had you know entire days and weeks where she didn't remember uh who she was or where she was that you know she's here in austin at different treatment centers they're trying to figure out where her mom is who her mom is and like what's going on and she's i think in her late teens and one night around three or four or five a.m she's in the back of a bar that's closed and they they have like picnic tables and it's pouring down rain and she's like jumping from table to table like she's just woohoo she's, she's like long, like she's just not there like a norm she's just not normal look let me tell you if you think the enemy comes to do anything except steal kill and destroy you talk to some people that have allowed them into allowed him into their life or maybe just look back on your own past <laughs> you could talk to folks but you can just look at yourself like this is this is something I, that this is something that I had to talk with my kids the other day. They were getting real philosophical, and they were like, "Well, Dad, you know, how do we know that God is good and the devil is bad? We've only read God's book, where God says He's good and the devil's bad. Like, what if 
What if we read the devil? What if the devil says the same thing? What if the devil says he's good and God's bad? And I said, well, actually, I've read the devil's book, and that's exactly what he says. Like, you know, that's true. And Aleister Crowley and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I find it interesting. I'm like, well, yeah, that's kind of what the devil says. He, he thinks he's being persecuted by this big bully God. And yeah, and they're like, so how do we know? I said, well, there's a few ways to tell. I said, probably the easiest way that I can think of is go talk to anybody, <clears throat> including Mr. Crowley, and ask him how much peace he has, how much joy he has. Ask him about his finances. Ask him about his family. Ask him about his, his mental health. Anyone that's followed Satan and given their life over to him, pursued the things that he calls them to pursue, live their life for themselves, ask them how happy they are. Look at their family legacy. Look at their children. Look at their grandchildren. Look at their great-grandchildren. Look what happens when people, when people absorb themselves with themselves, pursue lust, pursue pleasure, pursue fame, pursue, and just fame alone. Let's just go to all the famous people. And checking on how many times they've committed suicide and how many times they've accidentally overdosed because they can't stand their own lives. Like, let's just, let's just go look at everything the enemy has to offer and let's look at how it works out. And you're going to find a bunch of people that hate themselves. And there are, some are literally diagnosably crazy. Because the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Christ has come that we may have life and have life more abundantly. You can talk to anybody that's followed Jesus for any length of period of time. And you're going to see restored health. You're going to see renewed minds. You're going to see joy. You're going to see peace. And then if they follow him long enough, their children are going to follow after them. And they're going to have wonderful marriages. They're going to have beautiful children. They're going to have great finances. They're going to have, they're going to have so much good stuff. That I don't know. You go ahead and decide. <laughs> if you want the kingdom of light or the kingdom of darkness. I think the end point is that Jesus is telling the truth. That he is good. And that he has life for us more abundantly. And here's this, this lady who's now in our church. Who's in her right mind. <laughs> who's saved. Who's, who's got a calling on her life. Whose family is, is growing and changing. Like so much good stuff. And she's sharing her story about when she was like in her late teens and she's hopping around in the, the middle of the night in the rain, jumping from table to table. And, and she said that she was crying, screaming out to heaven. She was, was a, I'm not ready. And God revealed to her, it was shortly after that, that she just came to herself. And she's like, you know, where am I? What's going on? And the nurses were like, wait, you sound like you, 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 you're kind of with it now. And so they, they called her mom. And she said that was the beginning. That when she finally acknowledged, even though she said she wasn't ready, but she acknowledged that there was a God above her that was not her. That's, that's the first step, to acknowledge that there is a God and it's not me. Even if you're not ready to do everything that he's called you to do, I don't know that Nebuchadnezzar was ready to do everything that God called him to do, but he just acknowledged that there was a God and it wasn't him. And God said, I see that acknowledgement. I'll step into that life. And he began something that night. I'm not saying, I, I don't know what all happened in her heart, but I know that he began something that night, that when she acknowledged him, even though she said she wasn't ready, she was ready to acknowledge him. And if you're watching today, and you... I, 
you might just be at the place where you're only ready to acknowledge him. That's okay. That's, that's the first step to a knowledge of the glory of the Lord. When you just acknowledge that there is a God, he's not me. He's above me. You might not be ready to do everything he says to do. You might not think you're ready. The truth is, you are ready. Everybody's ready. And God knows that. He knows that everybody is ready to step out into obedience. Because it's going to be different for each one of us. That obedience, what he calls us to do. And so right now, I'd just like for us just to take a few minutes and let's just call out to him right now. I don't know what your mental state is, but literally, even if people would diagnose you, that's all right. If you're hungover from last night, that's all right. If you're, you know, controlled by a substance, that's all right. You might if you're in the middle of a field and you're acting like an animal, howling at the moon, that's okay. No matter how far gone you are, all of us, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've all gone our own way. And while I wasn't, while Harry Fleming wasn't hopping on the back of tables yelling at the sky, I was just as lost as anybody else. And I was just as insane because pride is insanity. I was just as prideful until I called out to him, until I acknowledged that he was God, until I acknowledged that he was good, that he was merciful and that he was compassionate, until I called out to him and put my faith in him. And when I did that, man, I saw the goodness of God. I saw the mercy of God. I saw the compassion of God for somebody like me. That's what scripture says. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. <laughs> so you might be like Nebuchadnezzar and you just haven't felt like yourself lately. <laughs> Maybe for the past seven years, you haven't felt like yourself. Maybe for the past seven weeks. Maybe you're exhausted while doing nothing. The answer is to turn your eyes to heaven. The answer is to look up to heaven. And whatever you say when you look up, that's not the point. The answer is to look up to heaven. However ready you feel, that's not the point. The answer is to acknowledge him. The answer is to look up to heaven and say, God, <laughs> I'm looking up to you. I don't have the answers for my life. I don't, I don't know the next step, but I'm looking to you. I'm tired of being exhausted for nothing. I'm tired of the insanity of pride, the insanity trying to build something for myself. Lord, we do. We call on you. Thank you that we know your name, the name of Jesus, which means the Lord saves. This is his name. It's a declaration of his goodness. It's a declaration of his mercy. It's a declaration of his compassion. 
And his intention to do so is not a response to our goodness. It's not a response to us. His goodness goes before us. God so loved the world that he first gave his son. And after he had given his son, then he waited for a response from us that as many as believed in him, to them, he would give the power to become the sons of God, even to them who believed in his name. So Lord, we respond to your goodness. We respond to your glory. (laughs) We respond to your glory. step into the ocean. We step into the ocean of the glory of God. We submerge ourselves. We float. We lay back in the, in, in, in the all-encompassing and all-pervasive uh, glory of God. That all my life you've been faithful. That everything that I've been through, that all of my, even my past mistakes and failures, you were present in the midst of it. I've always been in this ocean. I just didn't recognize it. I've always been swimming in this ocean. I just didn't see it for what it was. But now I acknowledge the goodness, the compassion, and the mercy of God. That even while I was a sinner, Christ died for me. Even while I was on my worst day, he thought I was worthy of his love and his affection and his compassion. And he poured out himself, laid down himself for me. I didn't recognize the stars and what they meant. I didn't recognize uh, the, 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 the nature around me. I didn't, not, all of that was preaching to me, but I didn't hear it. I had eyes, but I couldn't see. I had ears, but I couldn't hear. But your, your goodness spoke to me much louder than any of that. Your mercy spoke to me much louder than any of that. Your compassion finally broke through the hardness of my heart. <laughs> and welcomed me into this ocean. And now, Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your compassion. Why don't you just thank him right now, wherever you're at, whatever situation you're in, whatever your prayer is. Acknowledge his glory in your life. Acknowledge his his goodness in your life, his mercy in your life, his compassion in your life. To acknowledge it. To acknowledge it. In all your ways, acknowledge him. We point it out. We acknowledge it. We say, that was God. <laughs> and that was God. And, 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 and that was God. And, and that was God. We see, we see the ocean of the goodness of God all around us. We acknowledge it. We thank you for it, Lord. Thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, why don't you give the Lord a hand clap of praise wherever you're at.